Have you ever been in one of these um, um, gift stores, whatnot stores, uh, uh, Cracker Barrel store, something like that, and, and seen one of these wooden puzzle toys like that? You know the ones I'm talking about? where you just crank and crank and crank and crank and the wooden pieces slide back and forth in the little grooves that never touch each other, they never get in each other's way. It's just, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it, it's a very creative design. I don't know who thought that one up and there's a lot of workmanship that goes into it. Oftentimes you'll see different colors or pieces of wood or different kinds of wood that are used in it. And you crank on one of those for about five minutes and you're gonna work up quite a sweat. And uh, it, it, it's just, just a neat tool, but I've never bought one. You know why? because I can never figure out what its purpose is. As far as I can tell, it just basically has no purpose. You just stand there and crank and it just goes back and forth. Now, I think a lot of people live that way. I think a lot of Christians live their life. They go through as a wooden whatchamacallit. You know, at a glance, it looks like we're pretty good creative design that God really poured out the craftsmanship when he created us. And, and you know, if, if, if you're here at church most of the time, um, Tim will make you stand for 20 minutes and sing really hard and energetic. You can, you can work up quite a bit of sweat when you're cranking out, cranking out the songs like that. And, and you can look at all the facts that the, work, the church works smoothly together. But if somebody were to ask you this morning as, you, as a Christian, what is your purpose, would, would you say any of that? I mean, would you say, well, I'm, I've been designed creatively, I, you know, or, or we work smoothly together. That, that's not your purpose. No matter how creative our design, and we are creatively designed by God, and no matter how faithful we are to the church, and it is vital that we be faithful to the body of Christ, and no matter how smoothly we work together, and it is essential that we work together, if we are not living out our divine God-given purpose, then we have missed the reason for being here. And honestly, you'll end up being a little cranky when that happens. We've been studying through the portion of Hebrew history when God unleashed the Israelites from the burden of slavery. And sometimes, I, I'm, you know, I've read through all these stories and I think, okay, why all of the fuss about the Israelites? I mean, Egypt was the lone superpower at that day and time. Why didn't God work through the Egyptian people? Or he could have worked through the Edomite people, or he could have worked through the Canaanite people. They were already settled in the land of Canaan anyway. Why this lowly band of herdsmen who had become slaves? What was so special about the Israelites? The answer lies in Genesis chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, get, catch this last part. This is it. This is what I want you to hang on to. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God needed a group of people to prepare the way for the coming of the Savior. They weren't the most powerful people. They weren't the most popular people. But they had become caretakers of the divine promise of God. They had purpose. All of the nations of the world would be blessed by the one descendant that would come through Abraham and the nation of Israel. And today he is that one we call Lord and Savior. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been focused on a God-given vision of being unleashed from our debt so that we can truly make a difference in this world. Aha, you say, being unleashed from debt and giving money to people in need, that is our purpose. Well, 
it's true that we can do a better job of ministering if we're not burdened by the debt, just as being debt-free personally helps a person invest more in what really matters so the church can invest more in what really matters if we're not burdened with the debt. And what we're doing isn't about us, you know. We've talked all along. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about our grandchildren and their children's generations, those that will come in the next 50 years. Art Linkletter said, our children are the living messages we send into a time that we shall not see. This is about looking ahead. It's about celebrating the past, but it's about looking ahead. Now, I've, I've had some people say, well, will we ever go back into debt? You know, once we get out of debt, we're going to go back into debt? I, I can tell you this, the leadership's desire is to serve debt-free, but forecasting the future? Oh, that's... That's way beyond my ability. That's way above my pay grade, folks. However, the things that would potentially create a debt scenario, such as buying more land or such as doing a building, all, all of that has to be approved by this congregation. So there's no chance of going back into debt with anything without the congregation deciding that they as a whole want to do that. And should there come a time where there's an emergency in the life of the church or there's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that this church cannot pass by, I am convinced this congregation will make the decision that will advance the kingdom of God the best just as they have in the past 50 years. We want to operate debt-free, but who knows what the future holds? But you all, as a congregation, hold the answer to that decision. I also know that some cannot or will choose not to participate in this endeavor. Can I reassure you this morning that I won't know if you do or you don't participate? I, I won't, and, and none of the leadership will know what you give, if you give, how much you give. That's going to be between you and the Lord and the church's business manager who has to keep track just for tax purposes. I'll never know. And, and, and I think sometimes people worry that, that you know, if I, if I knew something one way or another, it might affect how we as leadership think, you know. Well, in the first place, it isn't. But it's a good thing we don't know, so that your participation or your lack of it will never impact your feeling of worth or value in this congregation. Everyone here matters. You matter to God, and you matter to us, regardless of how you participate or participate at all in this challenge. Now, all that said, our divine God-given purpose is not to be debt-free. Our divine purpose is not to give everything away so that people can simply live easier for another day. That's not our purpose. In all of our efforts to emphasize the unleashed from aspect of this whole challenge, we haven't talked a lot about being unleashed for. From the beginning, God's people have been filled with a divine purpose, and if we fail in that purpose, then being unleashed from the debt or doing whatever we can to advance kingdom projects won't matter at all. Here's the bottom line. Are you ready for this? Everybody listening? Not if you're asleep, okay? Here is our purpose in one sentence. Our purpose is to glorify God by helping as many people as possible come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is it. That's the bottom line. Let me say it again. Our purpose is to glorify God by helping as many people as possible come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If we don't do that, then nothing else matters. If we pay off the debt and then we start storing up all that money for a rainy day, we'll be as guilty as the man in the parable that Jesus told who had a wonderful harvest and he tore down his barns and he built bigger barns and he stored all that harvest away so he'd have a great wealth laid up, and Jesus called him a fool. 
He said, you're a fool because tonight you're going to die, and then somebody else will get all these things. And it's not just about feeding the hungry. It's about helping the spiritually hungry find the bread of life. It's not just about assisting the homeless. It's about helping them meet the one who is building a home for them in heaven. And it's not just about aiding the poor. It's about helping the poor in spirit find lasting treasure in him who promises to provide everything we need. You see, if we give it all away to hurting people without also giving them Jesus, we have failed. The first century Christians understood this. They heard the words of Jesus as he left after his 40 days following his resurrection. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, this is what we read. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. You'll be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Folks, I can't think of any better reason to be unleashed. That's our purpose. You may be thinking, I can't go to the ends of the earth. I understand that. I'm, I'm here to tell you that the first century Christians weren't all that hopped up about leaving Jerusalem either. They were there for a long time. They just kind of liked that fellowship inside Jerusalem. And then the persecution hit. And boy, did they scatter in order to save their lives and their skin. And the, the beauty of the whole thing was that as they raced out to other cities and regions and countries because of the persecution, they took their faith with them. And the church grew by explosion. It was called the diaspora, the dispersion, or the migration of Christians to different regions. But one of the things I treasure about ministering here in Bloomington is the fact that we're experiencing just the opposite. The world is coming here. Whereas the ancient church exploded into the world, we're, we're experiencing the world imploding on Bloomington. Just outside our back doors, there are people from all around the world. We got people locally, we got people globally that live in our neighborhoods and down the streets, all of whom need to know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I want us to be unleashed so we can do our best and live our divine purpose and help others find Jesus. Now, I, I love this verse that comes out of Leviticus. A lot of times when we read Leviticus, we think of this as a book of do's and don'ts, and there's a lot of that in there. But God, in talking to, his, to the Israelites, said this. He said in uh, chapter 19, verse 33. When an alien, or you could substitute the word foreigner there, when an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you too were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, God is saying to them, you remember what it was like when you lived as a foreigner in Egypt and how you were abused and mistreated. I'm here to tell you, when others from other countries come to live in your midst, you treat them differently. You treat them as a reflection of my love for you. What a beautiful passage. It applies to us as well. We are to be a reflection of the love of Christ and the light of the gospel. And when others come into our midst to live here, we need to be to them what the Israelites were to the foreigners in their midst. Whenever I have done mission trips, with a couple exceptions, there have been a few times when I've gone with a group or, or such, but when I mostly go to teach for TCM, I travel alone. 
And I've got I to be real honest with you. When, when I go to a country where I've never been, I don't know the language, I don't know the custom, I don't even know who it is that's supposed to pick me up at the airport and take me where I need to be. And I walk off of that airplane, there, it, it, it's almost like I get hit in the face with this feeling of anxiousness, uh, almost um, uh, a panic attack kind of a feeling. You know, when I got on that plane, it was an American crew and it was an American service people that were serving up and down the aisles, and I understood all the all the language, but when I walk off that plane, I'm leaving the last bit of home there, and, and I'm suddenly all alone in a place where I've never been. I don't know the culture. I don't know the language, and, and, and quite honestly, I most of the time want to turn around and walk back up that uh, uh, ramp and go, go back home, and the first couple of days are often that way. I feel just this anxiousness, and then and then I make it to church on that Sunday before class starts on Monday, and, and I'm around other Christian people, and, and though I cannot understand what they're saying, I do understand their heart because we are one in Christ. And then the students come, and they make me feel at home, and, 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 and the week goes in a way that makes me feel like I'm a vital part of their lives, and they're a vital part of my life. And when the end of the week comes, there is a knot in my stomach about leaving. Not that I'm not anxious to get home, because I am, but I've made new friends, and I have been around the family of Christ in, in a place where I've never been before, and I realize just a little bit of what it feels like to come to a new place among a new people, among a new culture, and I want to make sure that the folks that come to Bloomington, Indiana, many of whom come to study at Indiana University, who find their way here, I want them to feel the warmth and the love and the hospitality that comes from those who love Jesus Christ. Psalm 2.8 says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So whether it's the neighbor that has lived for years halfway down the block or the new neighbor that comes from halfway around the world, each of them needs you to be Jesus Christ to them. Live your purpose. And if you're going to live your purpose, here's a few suggestions or a few ideas. Dream big. If you're, if you're going to serve God, don't dream small, dream big. I never cease to be amazed at what God can do and what God can use to change our lives. Some of you will remember July 4th, 1999 here in Bloomington. Uh, a white supremacist by the name of Benjamin Smith came through town. He went on a shooting spree that included Bloomington. And uh, that Sunday morning, uh, when he came down 3rd Street and his gun fired, lots of people thought at first it was just firecrackers going off because after all it was Independence Day. And then when people noticed, especially there at the Korean Methodist Church out in their front yard, a young man was down on the ground bleeding who eventually died. Won Jun Yoon was, was murdered as this man came through town. Uh, it threw Bloomington uh, into a... Uh, a horrible state. Not long after that, Carthel Everett, one of the members of this congregation, came to me here at the church office. And, and Carthel at that time worked with international students uh, at the university. And um, Carthel said, we've got to do something about our international students to make them feel at home here uh, in our community. I think what it did was it opened the door to all of us who were just comfortable with where we were realizing that there is 
the ends of the earth just outside our back door. And so we began this ministry, this international ministry that has moved and, and, and grown. And now we have so many other folks who are working in this arena, Elin and Ron, Ronnie Rajamani and their family, along with Rhonda Rod and dozens of others and volunteers here in the congregation who are reaching out through our international coffee hour and different things and activities that go on here, our, our Thanksgiving dinner that goes on. And after 13 years, Carthel and Peggy are still opening their home to international students. They host a weekly Bible study with 20 or more Chinese students every week. And, and those folks are here. And I want them to know that this is a place where they can be at home and they can be loved because God took a tragedy and out of that brought a, a knowledge of things that could be different if we'd do our best. So I'm telling you, when you're dreaming, dream big because we serve a big God. And then plan ahead. This year, over 2,400 volunteer hours were contributed by over 200 volunteers at the International Furniture Drive. Amazingly, 277 students from 35 different countries were served at this event. Every year it grows. Every year we have more furniture to give away. And it is through that gift that some have been introduced to Jesus Christ and the gospel for the very first time. I'll tell you what it's helped me with too, and that is becoming more proactive and planning ahead. Used to be when you'd, you, know, you, get, you weren't using something, you'd put it on a shelf or you'd put it in the back of a storeroom or a shed or something like that. You, I, I would just look for some easy way, convenient way, just to get rid of it and get rid of the clutter. And now I look at things and I think, could this be used by somebody? Could this help somebody else? Could somebody get some value out of this that might help them be introduced to the gospel? And so if it's a piece of furniture or something in the household, I'll save it until we're ready for that furniture drive the following year. You see, God has a plan not just for his kingdom, but for us as individuals. Uh, you may not have discovered the plan yet. Uh, you may not be done with your training yet. Uh, it, the time may not be right. All the pieces of the puzzle may not have come together yet, but I'm convinced God has a plan for you. But what I want to warn you is that the enemy also has a plan for your life, and if you're not careful, you'll end up following the wrong plan. The enemy's plan is, is one that includes doubt to make you question God's truth. It includes discouragement to keep you from focusing your problems, or to keep you focused on your problems instead of God. It includes diversion to make the wrong things seem more attractive than the right things. It includes defeat to make you feel like failure so that you'll give up. It includes delay so that you'll procrastinate doing the right things instead of, uh, uh, instead of taking up this purpose that God has given us. It's important to be following a plan, but it's also important to know what plan you're following. And then here's another one. Invest in others. Invest your time, your energy, your talents, your love, your, your home. Invest in others. Let's pretend for just a moment that your life is represented as a $1,000 bill. Okay, we, uh, it's no longer in uh, circulation, but the, we did have a $1,000 bill. Grover Cleveland's picture uh, was on the bill. And we think of our life, when we give our life to Christ, we kind of think of like we're given a chunk, $1,000, we give it to God. Okay, we've given our life to Christ now. I'm, I'm off the hook and I'm absolved of responsibility. But God would rather us trade in that $1,000 bill for 100 rolls of quarters, $10 of quarters in every roll, and then give our life out at 25 cents a time. Listen to a neighbor kid's troubles, serve on a ministry team, visit a shut-in, take a meal to somebody who is sick, shovel snow off the walk of a neighbor's driveway, do good, practice righteousness. Fred Craddock wrote, usually giving our life to Christ isn't so glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It'd be easier to go out in a flash of glory, but it's harder to live the Christian life little by little 
over the long haul. Wow. God calls us to invest our lives in others. 25 cents at a time. Why invest in others? Because you have no idea what God can do to, make, to give you a return on that investment. Anthony, who came to Indiana University as a Buddhist, is now back in Taiwan as a university professor, the director of an art center, and most importantly, as a baptized follower of Jesus Christ. He leads worship in his local church there, but still considers this to be his church home because this is where he found Jesus Christ, and this is where he was baptized. Hugo was raised a Taoist and then embraced Buddhism, but when he came here, he was introduced to the gospel. Hugo said, I knew, this, I knew that this is the truth I had been looking for. He met his wife here. His, his wife's name was Pooh. They met through Carthel and Peggy Everett's Bible study. They met through our international ministry work here, and they developed uh, this relationship, fell in love, got married. They went back uh, to serve. They both have PhDs from, from Indiana University. They are teaching in Thailand now, but not just teaching. They are the body of Christ in an area to help advance the gospel. Who can know what the future holds if we will invest our lives in the lives of others around us? And then, and then trust God. If you're going to live out your purpose, you've got to trust God. That, that, that God never wastes an experience in our life. That God's going to take whatever you can bring Him and, and make it work in your life. Trust Him. Even when you can't figure it out, He can. A concerned mother was sending her kindergartner, Timmy, off to school. And, and the school was only a couple blocks away, but she was worried about him because he didn't want mama to take him. He wanted to go himself with his buddy, walk to school. And so she finally consented to let him walk to school. But uh, she called up a friend of hers who often took morning walks with their toddler daughter and strolled her. And she, she said, would you follow, you know, half a block away and, and make sure that Timmy gets there? So she agreed to do that. And so Tim and his buddy take off for school the first day. And sure enough, there's the friend about a half a block back. And she strolls down, keeping her distance, and makes sure that Tim and his friend get there. Well, this goes on for about a week. And finally, uh, Timmy's buddy, one day they get to school, and he says, Timmy, do you know that that lady's been following us all week long? And Timmy said, yeah, I know. He said, well, do you know who she is? Well, I think I know. The little girl in the stroller, her name is Marcy, and that's her mother, Mrs. Goodnest. Her name is Shirley. And he said, well, do you know these ladies? Well, not really. He says, but every night my mom reads me the same 23rd Psalm, and it always ends, Shirley Goodnest and Marcy shall follow me all the days of my life. He said, I'm just going to have to get used to them being there. Now, here's the deal. When you do what God wants you to do, when you become who God wants you to become, when you live and act as God wants you to live and act, He will be with you every step of the way. You won't carry out your divine God-given purpose alone. He'll go with you. You can trust Him. This week, I um, received a letter uh, from Doris Downey. Um, Doris spent most of her, or a lot of her life on the, the mission field uh, in Burma. She used her nursing skills there and uh, 
used her great faith there. She has a, a, a genuine heart for the Burmese people. As a matter of fact, uh, she continues to support a young man who is going to medical school of the Lisu tribe who is going to go back then to his people, not only to help them medically, but to help them spiritually healing in both ways. But here's the thing you need to know about Doris. Uh, Doris has been retired for a number of years. She lives on minimal social security. Uh, she has very little of this world's goods. And so she lives off of her social security and she paints. She's an artist and when she can sell a painting, she takes that money and sends it to this young man in Burma. But this, this is what she wrote me this week. I'll just read this one paragraph. She said, I do want to help Sherwood Oaks Christian Church become debt free. And then to see this church a light to the community and the world with Jesus as that light. And so what she's decided is that the paintings that she has left, she wants to find a way to, to sell those. And, and maybe somebody in our youth group to help her sell those. And then all the money is going to come to pay off the debt with the hopes, with the hopes that when we get debt free that we'll be able to maybe help that young man in Burma continue not only his journey, but to help him as he spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doris tells me that one of her favorite books is Max Lucado's book, Traveling Light. Not much of this world's goods to burden her down. I'm not sure I can think of a better definition or description of what Unleashed has been all about. Traveling Light so that the world might find Jesus Christ as Savior.